Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying where the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by themselves. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary Magdalene stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father." But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Almost anyone who's ever been to a funeral recognizes the hymn in the garden written by C. Austin Miles. What you may not know is that Miles wrote that as an Easter hymn and not as one for funerals. 
Miles reported that on a day in April of 1912, he had been in his basement where his dark room was and the organ, and he opened his Bible to the 20th chapter of John, his favorite book, his favorite chapter. And when he did so, something happened. He couldn't explain it. He only knew that he had been transported as if moved by the Holy Spirit. There he was resting his hand on the Bible, and yet he was in the garden. A woman wearing white was there, and her hands were about her neck as if choking back the sobs. She's standing there at the entrance of the tomb, bending over and looking in, and then she runs. In this experience, Miles indicates that Peter and John show up shortly after. John gets there first, but Peter gets there next, and he's the first to go in. They look and they leave. Interestingly, then Mary sits down and she weeps till someone says to her and to him, why are you weeping? Mary. And she recognizes Jesus by his voice. Miles recognizes him as well. He woke from his trance, as it were, in that moment, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he sat down and wrote this hymn as fast as he could form the words on the paper. That night, he wrote the melody, and it is still sung today the same way it was written then. Many of the greats have sung this hymn from Doris Day to Rosemary Clooney to Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton, Alan Jackson, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, Elvis, many of the greats and so many more. It is still sung today, I believe, because we hear that imploring line within it that says, listen for the voice of one who's calling. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. The angels may have said it best that morning when they speak to Mary and say, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised. Later she will know that the Spirit speaks to them again and says, He'll meet you on the way where you're going. 
I don't remember now who sent it to me, but I got a cartoon this week of the uh, Last Supper in which Jesus is seated alone at the table. What was cute about it is that he's having the Last Supper meal in a Zoom meeting. And all the pictures of the disciples are across the top of the, the screen and they're lined up there ready to receive it. And But there's one just below that line and Jesus is down here and it says Judas has left the meeting. Would you have ever thought that this Easter you and I would be having Easter alone? and that we would be having it through technology together, whether we chose to do so or not. What we know this morning, like so many others, is that we'll be not together having those great hymns of the church and, and greeting each other with the embraces so we're, we're so accustomed to, and at the same time, those family Easter dinners, which are so precious to us, many of us will eat them alone for the first time, not at all surrounded by family or friends. Let's not run too fast here, my friends. Let's not run past this opening scene of Easter morning. Easter for the first followers took place in the dark. It was dark outside when Mary got there and everything hurt. Monday would dawn for them with so many questions and fears and answers not yet ready to be shared. Any of us who go forward this coming Monday, tomorrow morning when we roll out of bed, we'll be facing another Easter day, a day in which we face the reality, however, of COVID-19 and all the challenges of recovery will still be before us. Will our resurrection joy sink as it had for the initial brush with the disciples? What will happen to our usual resurrection joy and energy we have from the power of the Spirit's presence with us? My friends, it's a fair question. What difference will the celebration of our Savior's resurrection have made in us tomorrow? When the bills are still mounting, and the kids don't look like they're going back to school. When you aren't sure if your small business is gonna make it or if the job you have is gonna still be there when we can go back to work. Folks have and will lose dear people that they love during this time. Many of them will have died alone and those sacred rites of burial will either wait or be taken place in much quiet. Or the parents of our seniors, graduations that should have marked this precious rite of passage, 
these dear things won't happen, at least not as they should have. Where will the resurrection be then? I have great good news for you. The reality of Easter started in the dark, where everything felt hopeless and lost, where dreams were shattered and the future was uncertain. So let's just risk going to the tomb together this morning. Let's talk about what matters and what doesn't. Well, it doesn't matter what state of mind in which we show up with at the tomb. Witnesses of our participants in the scripture each have a markedly different experience. On the first Easter morning visit, Mary gets there first in the dark. She's gone to grieve, and it's then that she sees that the stone that has covered the tomb from the outside has been rolled away. She draws a conclusion, a wrong one, that Jesus' body has been stolen. Running to the disciples, Peter and the beloved John, she laments, they have taken the Lord. Now, John and Peter, after they leave the tomb and their witness of its emptiness, Mary will look back in and witness angels that have come. Now, I did say angels, two of them in white. Not your exactly ordinary kind of day. And she cries as she exclaims, they have taken my Lord. Clearly, our Mary isn't there yet in spite of this profound experience. It isn't until Peter and John have left her again, sitting in the dark, grieving and in tears, that Jesus calls her name and she recognizes him. Only then can she report to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Things don't go any more smoothly for Peter. Alerted by Mary, he and the beloved do run. Some commentator of many years ago speculated that, that uh, John got there first because he was younger and Peter was married. Oh well. Anyway, John gets there first. But Peter, when he enters, says nothing. They see where Jesus' garments have been folded on one end and the cloth covering his head on the other. And you'd think, you'd think that after all of their time together that bells would be going off. Who would steal a body? Who would leave the clothes all neatly folded in some way? Who would take a body from a grave and unwrap it first? Peter says nothing. And as far as we know, Peter does not yet believe. 
Then there's John. Only the beloved John responds with awareness and faith. When he peeps in and sees the linen cloths, the scriptures say he saw and believed. The beloved disciple sees and believes how sweet it must have been to feel that on that morning, to know in your heart that everything is as it should be, to so truly trust God's promises that you just get it, must have been wonderful for John. The other two have very different experiences. Mary sees, yet she needs help believing. Peter sees, and he couldn't come to faith at that moment. What I want you to hear this morning with absolute clarity is that the gospel story judges none of these people. John in his gospel includes the story of Peter, Mary, and the beloved disciple without any evaluation or assessment of their response. Three disciples, one sees the grave cloths folded and believes. One sees but needs to hear first, and the other, who knows? And yet it is to each and to all that Jesus comes. My friends, it doesn't matter where our spirits are this morning in this devastating time. It only matters that Jesus comes and will greet you and be with you. It does matter then that Jesus reaches out to meet the disciples at the point of their need. Three times after the resurrection, he will come to them again to reassure his disciples and his followers. He'll show up when they're locked in the upper room, scared to death for fear of arrest and death themselves. He'll show up to the doubting and to the questioning. He'll show up with a walk on the beach and a meal of fish together, which is another way of saying Jesus is going to go into the real places of their daily lives to nurture and to encourage them on the way. And the promise is just the same for us. What we do, what we can do, is train our eyes, to train our ears, to hear and to see. We can believe that Christ is present and be watching and listening. In a beautiful essay on the resurrection, theologian and writer Chris Barnes writes this. What I see in the resurrection narratives are individual people having profoundly individual encounters with Christ. The encounters don't look identical. 
In other words, they come to the tomb with different experiences, personalities, and histories. They come each with their own baggage. That, my friends, is great news. We're invited to come to the empty tomb this morning with all of the stuff that we're carrying. We cannot, we need not arrive any differently. And where we go with our own messy lives, God will be with us going forward. What matters is finding in the empty tomb, the hope that we need for our own struggles, our losses and traumas and disappointments. Whatever universal claims we make as Christians about Easter, the simple truth is this. Jesus will meet you and me where we are so you can see and keep moving forward. Greg Carey has speculated that we arrive at Easter asking, excuse me, asking the wrong questions. The question is not why should people in general believe in the resurrection? Rather, how has the risen Christ revealed himself to you? How have you seen and heard Jesus did you meet him? This type of witness isn't automatic or easy. It requires of us some risk. It's the risk of hanging on to the hope of Christ when everything around us is shaky or failing. It's the risk of sitting in the dark after everyone else has run away. It's the risk of turning toward the one who calls our name and recognizing him for the Savior that he is. Please remember this. Jesus had spent weeks, several years really, preparing the disciples and the followers for the reality of his eventual death and the fact that on the third day he would be raised from the dead. He would explain it to them and he would say, I'm coming again. And when I come again, I'm going to take you to myself and I'm getting rooms ready and rooms to spare. And he would state at the end of the cross, that none of them, none of them would not know his love and forgiveness. He would state at the last meal that he wouldn't eat this meal again until they had done it together. They were devastated and their hopes for the future were destroyed. And it is to each of them that Jesus came. We find ourselves at one time or another feeling like John, Peter, and Mary. Our gospel leaves room for each of us, for the one who sees and believes, for another who sees and leaves uncertain, 
and for one who needs to hear her own name before she can breathe. Friends, joy and fear, hope and despair, doubt and faith, these are the two sides of our lives in this world. I beg you to hear the voice of the one who's calling, the Son of God disclosing. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He's been raised. Keep moving forward. He'll meet you in the messy lives we have, no matter how we feel or how much or how little we struggle to believe. We have a risen Savior, and that's what matters most. Amen.